the stickers on Hank's head. <laughs> yeah, work on the location of stickers, I think. Uh, <clears throat> well, if you'll find a copy of God's Word and turn to, uh, to Luke, Luke chapter 1. We're looking this morning at verses 39 through 56. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1088. 1,088. And just a reminder, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, if you're visiting with us, you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'd love to give you one. We have a stack of really nice copies of them on a table right outside the back double doors, and we invite you to take one on your way out. But one thing we like to do here is we like to stand for the reading of God's Word. So if you will, as you're able, please stand. This is Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. So, Father, we come with anticipation now to hear your word preached. And we ask for holy unction, the unction anointing of your Holy Spirit upon the preacher and hearer alike. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. How have you responded to Jesus? How have you responded to Jesus? How have you reacted to Jesus' coming into this world to save sinners like you and me from our sins? It struck me as we were reading our text. Mary in verse 46 says, "'My soul magnifies the Lord.'" And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Because the good news of Christmas, the good news of the Christian message of the gospel is one that we have to respond to. And when we respond to it in faith, something changes in our lives that can never go unchanged. It can never be changed back to what was before. Do you know the reaction that happens when you take vinegar and you put it with baking soda. It's fun, isn't it? Uh, You know, once you do it, there's no going back. When you pour that vinegar in, there's no going back to the old state of just having baking soda. This uh, 
this weekend, we spent most of our time uh, working with Mentos and Diet Coke. Have you done this before? Have you seen this? You've got to Google it. If you take a, a bottle of Diet Coke, and we have found that real Diet Coke works better than Sam's Choice Diet Coke, just FYI. We went to Walmart several times this weekend. And you put a half a sleeve of Mentos, you know, the breath mints. It is so fun to see what happens. There's a reaction that, that soon the, the foam is busting forth out of the two-liter, going everywhere. Once you put those Mentos in, there's no going back. And this is what happens when we have a saving encounter with Jesus. We go from being dead to alive. We go from being unforgiving and unforgiven and, and, and bearing the guilt of all the mistakes we've made to being forgiven. We go from being spiritually orphaned to adopted children of God. And none of this would have been possible without Christmas. This is what our Savior was coming into the world to accomplish. How have you responded to Jesus? Do you know the most dangerous response to Jesus? Do you know what it is? It's not hatred, by the way. It's apathy. Apathy to the message of Christmas is the most dangerous attitude you can have. What is your response? How have you re reacted to the coming of Christ into the world? We see responses in our text today. We see the response of Mary. We see the response of Elizabeth and even the unborn John. And their response is that of joy. They don't know the whole story yet, but they know enough. They, they know a lot more than we give them credit. And they are excited about the coming of salvation into this world. Are you excited? I'm not talking about a facade, you know, drumming up Christmas spirit. I'm talking about, do you see your need for Jesus? Do you rejoice in that your Savior has come? Last week we left Mary with the angel Gabriel. And he had told her that she soon would conceive, even though she was a virgin, and bear a son. She was betrothed, that is an uh, engagement that was legally binding. She was betrothed to Joseph. And in his address, in Gabriel's address to Mary, he told her that her relative Elizabeth had conceived and would soon bear a son. What was amazing is that about that pregnancy is that Elizabeth was quite old. Whereas Mary was very young, Elizabeth was very old, and, and the years of childbearing had left her, and she had no children. Indeed, this was the sixth month of her pregnancy. We don't know how they were related, by the way. Elizabeth and Mary, it's likely that they're cousins. It's, it's unlikely that they're first cousins uh, because of the age difference. But they are related, and, and while Gabriel doesn't tell Mary to go see Elizabeth, they're certainly, he's certainly laying down the hint. And so here is this young girl, a young woman, a teenager by our standards, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th grade, somewhere in there. And here, here she is, a godly girl, unmarried and pregnant. What a blessing it would have been to have someone to talk to. Indeed, someone who was going through something very similar that she was going through. And so she rises and she goes with haste. I like that phrase, haste. That means to hurry, 
to go quickly with joy and excitement. She, she went with haste out of joy that the Lord was doing this great thing through her, something the greatest thing in all of history. How will you respond to the greatest thing in all of history that God would come to this world? She goes out of haste of desire to go and speak to someone who could understand what she's going through, haste to be with family before she started showing. So she went on this 70-some-odd-mile journey, seemingly by herself, from Nazareth to the hill country of Judah. Can you imagine what had been going through her mind in this journey? I mean, an angel has just appeared to her. She's pregnant, and she's traveling alone. I think one of the things she was thinking about was crafting what we have in verses 46 through 55 called the Magnificat, which we'll get to in a minute. But have you ever seen a child, maybe a grandchild who's accomplished something big, maybe a new flip on the trampoline, and what do they do? They come running inside and they're not quiet about it. You can hear them coming a mile away. They're excited about this good news, this, this joy, and that's what goes on here. The text tells us that Mary entered the house of Zechariah, and greeted Elizabeth. We aren't given the contents, but as far as we know, Elizabeth did not know what had happened to Mary. Elizabeth did not know that Mary was coming. Gabriel could have told her, but we don't know. We don't think he did. In fact, the only time we're told Gabriel addressed Elizabeth and Zechariah is Zechariah in the, in the temple when he's praying. And he basically says, look, dummy, I'm Gabriel, and I stand next to God. You will believe me, and now you're going to be mute until your son is born. So Elizabeth didn't need, did not know that Mary was about to show up, and she didn't seem to know what had happened. But then she's filled with the Spirit. She's filled with the Spirit. Mary shows up, and what did, what did she say? You, you can't believe what's going on. You can't believe it, right? I'm pregnant, and his, and his name is Jesus, and He will save His people from their sin, and He will be called Son of the Most High, and He will be King in the line of David. And I'm not even married. She had a lot to convey. You know, the extent to which we see Christmas as good news is completely contingent on whether we see our need for what happened at Christmas. It's kind of like when you go get blood work. If it's routine blood work and it comes back routine, you're excited, you're thankful. But what if you're really sick and you go expecting something bad and you come out with really good news that your blood work looks really good? Aren't you going to be more thankful at that point? When we come to Christmas and we understand our need for a Savior, that's what allows us to respond with joy and love and faith. See, the light of the world was coming into this world because we were living in darkness. In fact, we belonged to the domain of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. Right? Ephesians 2 says that we were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And we were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. We were in bondage to our sin. We were in bondage to our guilt and in bondage to death itself. And we needed not just help. We needed saving, rescuing, redeeming. We needed something more than just medicine. We needed to go from dead to alive. 
And coming into the world at Christmas was the only one who could do it, and that's God himself. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. God coming into this world. And so Mary, she comes and she tells Elizabeth what is going on. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she understands who is in Mary's belly. How do we know that? Verse 43. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Let's not miss this. She knows that she is in the presence of the Lord, of her Lord. How could she know that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who revealed to Elizabeth that there is something more than just a baby inside of Mary. This is the Lord God Almighty. Do you know who you called the Lord in the Old Testament? God. Here is her Lord. She is looking at this young mother. And inside this young mother is her Lord. The Savior of the Lord. Why is it? How is it that the mother of my Lord has come to me? Blessed are you among women. What's she saying? That, that of all the women in the world, you are the most blessed. Because there's something going, inside you, going on inside of you that is more than just the joy of having a child. It is the joy of the world coming into the world through whom salvation will come. This was great news not just for Elizabeth, not just for Mary, but for all of God's people. That here is Jesus, 100% God and 100% man, the God-man Jesus who would live for us and die for us and be raised for us that we could have eternal life and be reconciled to God. As one commentator put it, he said, Elizabeth was the first to confess her faith in Jesus as her Lord. But before we move to Mary, look, there's another response here, and that's the response of John. So this is John the Baptist, and John the Baptist's mission is going, to be, is going to be to prepare God's people for the coming of Jesus. And so he has a public ministry of preaching in the wilderness, an Old Testament prophet-style ministry to prepare God's people to hear, hear about and to hear from the Messiah who was coming after him. He dies before Jesus' ministry is completed. So you have these two children, these two prophets. Jesus is more than a prophet, but He is a prophet. He is the greatest prophet. You have these, these two figures, John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, and the king of the world inside their mother's belly. And the Holy Spirit fills John the Baptist in utero and he responds with joy by leaping in Elizabeth's belly. As Philip Ryken put it, John the Baptist was the only child ever to use a womb for a pulpit. In the liquid darkness of his mother's womb, the unborn child kicked for joy, leaping at the sound of Mary's voice, and in this way, preparing people for the coming of Christ. 
It is to children that the Lord often gives the best understanding. You've been in those moments, right, where some child has said what everybody's thinking, but no one will say. And from the mouth of babes, you know, we often say that. But here is John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit, leaping for joy at what's going on. Well, you get in verses 46 through 55, you get this response of Mary to what has happened. Now, we looked briefly at the response of Mary last week. This is an amazing phrase. Look in your Bibles if you have it open uh, to uh, verse 38 from last week. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Isn't that an amazing response of faith? Let it be to me according to the word of God. Well, here we get a little bit more of Mary's understanding of what's going on. I love that song, Mary, Did You Know? You know the song, right? It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Do you know the answer to that question, Mary, Did You Know? It's yes. Mary did know. She may not have known of all the specifics that he would walk on water, but he knew that she would, he would be capable of it. She knew that there was salvation coming into this world through her child. Oh, she knew. And she understands what his coming into this world meant, not just for her. She was pretty excited, but what it meant for God's people. So this is called the Magnificat. That's what it's called. It's, a, it's styled in an Old Testament psalm or hymn. And, and at first blush, what is most striking about this is that a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old girl wrote it. Because in the Magnificat, there are references, are you ready for this? To Genesis, Deuteronomy, I don't have enough fingers. Genesis, Deuteronomy, First and Second Samuel, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. That's 11 books of the Old Testament, almost a full third that Mary references. While it was most certainly inspired by the Holy Spirit, these are still Mary's word, Mary's words. And, and these are her words of praise to God. And, and her, her soul is overflowing. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Does your heart rejoice in your God, your Savior? Do you see your need for a Savior? Do you see your need for the one, the light of the world who is coming to, to shine into your heart and to bring you the life and the light of men? Well, Mary begins by praising God for what He has done for her. You know, throughout His earthly ministry, Christ would upend cultural and societal norms. Who did Jesus hang out with? It wasn't the rich and famous. In fact, he spoke rather ill of them. Uh, he hung out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the sinners. Jesus is not afraid. He's not scared of our sin. He's not scared of our past and our history. In fact, it's because of these things that he came into the world to save us. From the very beginning, Jesus was upending social expectations and norms. And so whom had God chosen to bring into world His Son? It wasn't someone who had a last name that people would recognize. 
It wasn't someone from one of the the good families of the area. Rather, we read in verse 48, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She was of no account, for the Lord had chosen a poor, uneducated peasant girl from a know-nothing small town to carry the king of the universe. And she couldn't keep her mouth shut about it. In the second half, she transitions to praising God for what He was doing for the nation of Israel, for God's people. The coming was the one who would save His people from their sins. So how do we, how do we conclude? What we've seen in our text this morning is that there's amazing news that's worth celebrating. And we've seen Mary and Elizabeth and even the infant John rejoice and praise God for the coming of the Messiah. How have you responded to Jesus? You know, there are those moments in our lives that are really a fork in the road. You have to do something with this news. And and every time we hear the gospel, the good news that Christ came into this world to save us from our sins, it really is a fork in the road. Accept or reject. There is no fence sitting. Accept or reject. And apathy is a rejection. Not caring is a rejection. And Jesus came to offer salvation as a gift to all those who would receive salvation from Him in faith and repentance. We ought to have this kind of joy as we look past the manger, as we look past the coming of the shepherds and then a couple years later the wise men, as we look past the flight to Egypt and then the return to Nazareth where we find the boy Jesus increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Later, he will take up the profession of his father, his earthly father, who actually wasn't his father, Joseph, uh, as a carpenter. And then, when he was 30, he had a public ministry for about three years. And in this public ministry, he healed the sick, he caused the lame to walk, the blind to see, he raised the dead. He drove out demons. He preached the good news of the kingdom of God, that He had come into this world to bring salvation. And then, just as now, He was accepted by some and rejected by many more. Eventually, they would put a a crown of thorns upon His head. They would beat Him to within an inch of His life. And then they would finally kill him on the cross, two pieces of wood nailed together outside the city gates of Jerusalem. And my friends, at this point, it looked like a failure. It looked like all the rejoicing that God's people had done up until that point, that it didn't work, that it was for nothing. And then, on the third day, Christ rose from the dead. And death began to be undone. And the guilt of our sin was taken from us. And all those who look upon Christ for salvation shall know eternity with God in heaven. And my friends, this is something rejoicing over. Let's pray. O Lord God, we rejoice and we share with Mary those great words. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
You have looked on us of humble estate, we who are dead in our trespasses and sins. You who are mighty have done great things for us. Holy is your name. And so we call upon you again and yearn for the day of Christ's return. Amen. Amen. Our final hymn is 151, Good Christian Men Rejoice. We'll stand and sing verses 1 and 3.